0: When people say, what is happening at First Pres? We will know God is large and in charge, and we are following Him. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. If you have your Bible this morning, would you turn with me please to Acts chapter 12 this morning, as we're reading verses 1 to 18, and you'll find it on page 1712 of the church Bible, Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 18. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards, came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened up for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating when this had dawned on him. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked on the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. Now, there is definite persecution taking place in Jerusalem. Herod has realized that the stoning of Stephen had taken place. He has now martyred James. Herod is a polit- political past master, and he understands that he's been given a claim and support from the Sanhedrin and the Jewish leadership that has helped cement his position as ruler. And Herod fully realizes that in the arrest of Peter, that will be a popular move politically he realizes that if he puts peter to death and executes him that will be another mechanism to help support herod's own ambition and securing of his own position and all of that is going through herod's mind now notice what happens peter had been arrested in acts chapter 5 that was the third time he'd been, de- or second time he'd been detained overnight. He was then released again by an angel. And so Herod, being aware of that, has determined that that is not going to happen again. And so he put 16 soldiers working in shifts of three hours each. And there are four soldiers, each shift, looking after Peter. He is chained to two of them, and the other two are there in the cell, watching the door, and so on. And please remember, Peter has broken no laws, and the whole situation is quite bizarre. It is being driven by Herod's political ambition. And so, what do we see right here? Verse 5 and the church was praying earnestly to God for Peter. Earnestly. Not a casual prayer, Lord bless Peter. Not, Lord, look after him. I know he's facing tough days, but earnestly wrestling in prayer. That's what's going on right here. When we look back to last Sunday morning, Barnabas encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And when apathy and indifference begins to creep into our lives, please understand this, that when God calls us to remain true to the Lord, it is time to dig deep. It's time for—what did we say last Sunday?—grit, determination commitment, perseverance. It's time to dig deep. And that's what's going on here. That's where the young church, up against all of the pressure, had to hold on, had to persevere, had to be obedient, because what we know from Scripture is this, that blessing follows obedience. Blessing doesn't follow apathy and indifference. It follows obedience, and so we find them wrestling with God earnestly, prayerfully seeking His presence. Because I think most of us would say this, now, when we have faced days like that, and we have gone deep in prayer and wrestled with God, not just bringing a shopping list of wants and desires, but wrestled with Him— earnestly prayed. In the course of that time, what does God do? Not only does He hear our prayer and respond, but all too often He molds and shapes and fashions us. That's what's going on with the infant church. That's what's going on with us when we engage with God at that level. Do you remember back earlier this year, back in the spring, we spent five or six Sundays looking at the Lord's Prayer, and we said it was those opening two words of the Lord's Prayer that gave to us a foundation for everything else. Because those two words highlighted for us what that prayer is predicated on the basis of a Personal relationship. It's not something we do out of duty, although we ought. It's much more important than that. It is our Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father. It's not a stranger who is distant and far off, who has no relationship with us. It is our Father. That's why we remain true to the Lord with all our hearts, because we know Him. We know Him intimately. We've been blessed by Him, transformed by Him. Has He not answered our prayers in the past? Of course He has. Has He not been faithful? Has He not dealt with every sin? Of course He has. Our Father. And so when we immerse and saturate ourselves in prayer, then... Then we've been brought into the purposes and plans of God Himself. Now, John the Apostle, towards the end of his life, writes in his epistle of 1 John, chapter 3, verse 1, he writes this See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. That is what we are. Now, notice how John begins. This is John, 90 something years old, 91, 92 looking back over all of his life, is able to say, see what great love, not just love, but what great love. And if you go back and read it in its original language, that term, great love, means this love that is astounding. It's unbelievable. He lavishes it on us. That's the point he's making. So, when we come to God in prayer, please take out of your mind any possibility that he's distant, he's far off, he's reluctantly listening. He kind of, well, it's them again. Well, I suppose since they've asked and asked, maybe it's the opposite He loves us, delights in us. That's what's going on here. That's what's happening in prayer, where they earnestly are praying for Peter. Now, you may be here this morning and saying, Richard, okay, I get it. I understand the point you're making, I see it. It's predicated on my relationship. But, Richard, quite honestly, there are times when I need more than a principle. I know He loves me. I know He loves me with an everlasting love. I know it's a great love. I know He lavishes it upon me, but Richard, if you really had to force me into a corner, I would have to tell you I'm not quite sure what to say when it comes to prayer. I'm not. I feel clumsy, I feel inadequate, I'm never quite sure how to express myself. I hear other people praying, and I pray, if only I could pray like them. What do I say? Well, let me be very practical this morning. And if you're taking notes, please take this down. This has been helpful to me down through the years. And it's an acronym based, strangely enough, on ACTS. And so whenever you enter into prayer, unless it's an emergency situation, prayer always begins with adoration. When we started this morning, how did we begin? I began with a welcome, a call to worship, a hymn, and a prayer of adoration. And that's how it should be. So the first letter in Acts is highlighting adoration. So when you come to Him in prayer, what do you say? Father, at the very outset of this prayer, I want to tell you what you mean to me. I want to tell you how much in love I am with you. Thank you for your grace and your goodness. Each moment of each day, that's where adoration comes in, immersed in Him. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's why it begins with adoration. And then confession. And confession's the tough part. Do you simply say, Father, please forgive me for my sins of this day or this past week? Good place to go. But is it enough? Is it better to say, Father... Yesterday, I was short with my wife. I wasn't listening. I wasn't loving. I was so wrapped up in my own priorities and the things I was concerned about. I wasn't loving her the way I ought to. Father, please forgive me when at a meeting in work I exploded. I got angry It was over a large contract. We don't have the budget to be able to deal with it. And I took it out on staff. That's when you know you're beginning to drill down deep, specific, particular confession. And please remember, that when you immerse yourself and saturate yourself in prayer, you then go to the person and say, forgive me. I got it wrong. I don't know what I was thinking. I will never do it again. That's real prayer. That's confession. That's molding and shaping and becoming Christ-like. And then thanksgiving is that third letter. My goodness, are we ever short of something to say thanks to the Lord for? For waking us up this morning, for answered prayer, forgiven sin, for leading and guiding and directing us. A family to love, a home to live in. His grace upon our lives, each moment of each day. For His Word, our relationship with Him. We could go on forever. And then supplication. And supplication takes us to that next step when we are really praying for others. People we know those we love, situations they are facing, situations we are facing. That's supplication, praying for others, interceding. That's what's going on here. Remember the phrase, and the church was praying earnestly for Peter. That's prayer. That's when we know and feel and sense power in prayer, because it's authentic and it's real. Let's quickly move on as we're running out of time and go to the latter part of the passage, verses 6. And so we break into the chapter again. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. And sentries stood guard at the entrance. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Get up. They passed the first and second guards, came to the iron gate, leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself. Now put yourself in Peter's position. And the first thing you see here is this. That Peter is fast asleep." Isn't that strange? Would you be fast asleep the night before going on trial for your life? I'm not so sure I would be. I would be walking up and down that cell busily thinking, what can I do? What can I say? How can I prepare a defense? Peter was fast asleep Back in the early chapters of Acts, when Peter was released the previous time, he goes and meets with the others, and they pray together. And do you know what the first two words are in Peter's prayer back then? Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. And Peter understands this. God. God is large and in charge, not Herod. God is large and in charge, and Peter knows it. Why? Because of his relationship with Christ, and therefore his relationship with his heavenly Father. Sovereign Lord. And when you have a robust understanding of the sovereign purposes and plans of God, you can sleep pretty much through anything. Because Peter was more impressed with God than he was with Herod. And he was fast asleep. The angel arrives, wakes him up. Peter doesn't get it. He strikes him on the side. He says to Peter, get up the chains fall off, get dressed, remember to take your cloak. It's all those little details that make this an authentic record. Remember to put on your cloak, Peter come with me, walks through, out of the cell, out through the iron gate, they walk the length of a street, and Peter comes to himself. is not a remarkable picture of Peter, the leader of the apostolic band. Peter, who ran his own fishing business, strong, robust, in charge, is treated like a little child. Now remember, and put on your clothes and your sandal, and put on your cloak, and walk this way. Peter, come on, I've got you. Peter wasn't relying on his own strength or resources. He was totally dependent on a sovereign Lord, and that's what is going on here. And of course, when he gets to the house, you cannot help read it, but of course, smile, smile, inside the house. What happens when Peter's knocking on the door? The passage tells us he's knocking consistently. The young girl is sent to see who is disturbing their prayer time for Peter. Isn't that incredible? She is sent to see who's disturbing their prayer time. And you imagine them saying, we're busy praying for Peter. Who on earth would come to the door at this time and wait and stop us praying? And it's Peter. And she is so overwhelmed, so overcome with joy, she doesn't answer the door to Peter. She recognizes his voice, and she runs back in. And she says to them, it's Peter. And they say, you are out of your mind you're out of your mind. It cannot be Peter. And eventually she persuades them. And they go to the door and Peter comes in in the passage again, full of personal details. He signs with his hands and he tells them to be quiet and he explains what's going on. The answer to their prayers was knocking at the door. Isn't that remarkable? The answer to their prayers was knocking at the door. Now, we tend to think that prayer is knocking on heaven's door. But here is heaven knocking on their door, and they don't recognize it. I can't help but wonder if they were so immersed in the thought of the worst possible outcome, they couldn't see God's perfect outcome. Ever been there in your prayers, so focused on what will go wrong and what won't happen, rather than what may? Remember, Barnabas, encourage them to remain true to the Lord with all their heart, with all their heart. And then right at the end of the passage, we read these words… And in the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. Talk about understatement. This sounds like a diplomat. In the morning, there was no small commotion. Herod had the guards executed. Talk about no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. This was not the first time those who knew Peter or had been in his company asked that question. Can you imagine those early days when he met with Christ for the first time, when Christ impacted his life and transformed his soul? The people who knew Peter best, his immediate family, whom we don't hear much about, we know he was married, we know he had a mother-in-law. Do you think they would say that first day when Peter came home? what has become of Peter? Can you imagine when Jesus called him to be a disciple? The people around him would be saying, Peter, you're taking this too far. It was one thing to go and listen to a rabbi, but you're taking this too far. Peter, what has become of you? And then he would report again and again of the three years of being with Christ, listening to him preach, watch it, the impact on others, the miracles that transformed lives, as it was with Peter, and it was for the infant church. God is shaping and fashioning each one of us as we grow in our faith, as we deepen our relationship with Him. And I suspect this is an incredible thing to say. Peter would say, that the years ahead were every bit as good as the years behind. May that be true of us so that when people say, what is happening at first press? We will know God is large and in charge and we are following Him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this remarkable passage of Scripture. Thank you for all that it contains. Thank you for the reassurance of answered prayer and your love and your grace towards us each moment of each day. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come out and celebrate adoption on Sunday, November 12th at a free concert along the Reedy River. First Presbyterian Church is hosting the Brooks Dixon Band and Graydon Tomlinson live on the TD Amphitheater stage behind the Peace Center from 4 to 6 p.m. There will be several local adoption, fostering, and resource agencies there as well. So bring your whole family, your lawn chairs, and celebrate adoption with us.